This morning's sermon was written by Dr. William Denhollander, Professor of New Testament at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary in Hamilton. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it would be interesting to do a poll among you this morning with one of those fancy apps. The question I would ask is, are you satisfied with prayer? Since, you can't, since we can't do a poll, we're going to, uh, you're going to have to accept my guess. I'm going to guess that the majority of you would say, no, I'm not satisfied with my prayer life. Maybe everyone would. Well, I have good news for you. You're obviously not alone. But it doesn't mean that you're off the hook. It just means we all know prayer isn't easy. In his helpful, helpful book on prayer, Tim Keller writes, I can think of nothing greater that is also easy. Prayer must be, then, one of the hardest things in the world. It's hard, and yet the catechism teaches us, us that it's the most important part of our thankfulness to God. It also commands us throughout Scripture in shockingly different ways, like our text this morning, pray without ceasing. We will look at the theme of the prayer throughout the book of Nehemiah. There is a book on Nehemiah that has as title for the second chapter, A Leader from the Knees Up. That's a good description. And so we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah this morning under the theme, Pray Without Ceasing. We'll see three points. The priority of prayer, the persistence in prayer, and the power of prayer. First, the priority of prayer. When it comes to the priority of prayer, we need to only look at the very opening of the book. Where does the action start? We might be tempted to think chapter one is some kind of introduction or prelog, and that the real important stuff gets going in chapter 2 when Nehemiah comes before the king with his request. But that would be wrong, and it would miss the point of what the, script, of what the Spirit teaches us here through Nehemiah. What does he do when he hears that the city of Jerusalem is in ruin and that the people of God are in desperate circumstances? He sits down and weeps, and mourns, and then he kneels down to pray. That's where the action starts with Nehemiah's prayer. That's where the work begins too. On our knees, we tend to think that our jobs, our many tasks and responsibilities in our home, our church, our community, that this is the real work, and that prayer is an add-on, maybe even a luxury we can't always afford. If we've never said that out loud, at least we often act like it's true. But in the opening chapter of Nehemiah shows us that the real work is prayer. And that prayer is the priority that when it comes to fullness, fulfilling our task and responsibility. In fact, the way that we do our job and fulfilling our task will show how fervently and effectively we've prayed. You can see this principle at work not just in the opening chapter, 
but later on as well. Have a look at chapter, five, or chapter 4, verse 9. The enemies of God's people have been threatening to stop the work on the walls around Jerusalem. What was the response of the people? We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Prayer takes the priority. Or turn to chapter 6, verse 9. Again, Nehemiah is facing attacks from his enemies, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. How does Nehemiah respond before he turns back to his work on the wall? He prays, Now, O God, strengthen my hand. Strengthen my hands before I get back to work. Why? Because I'm weak. You see, this is what lies at the very heart of the priority of prayer, weakness. Why is prayer the real work? And why ought we to begin everything and carry everything through with prayer? Because we are weak people. There is a related quote from Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary in China for 51 years in the late 1800s, enduring tremendous hardship in his labor to bring the gospel to China. Historians estimate that through his work, 18,000 people were converted. He wrote, Only as everything fails us and we fail ourselves, finding out how poor and weak we really are, how ignorant and helpless, do we begin to draw upon abiding strength. It's only when we know we're weak that we can live out of God's strength. Hudson Taylor lived out of this truth. It's the same truth that led Nehemiah to such a powerful, to such a powerful instrument in God's hands as well. Is this your reality? It's a good place to be. And if it's not your reality, then you'd better pray that it becomes your reality. Because you are living under the delusion that you are self-sufficient, that you are able to do it all yourself. You are not. So pray. At your public profession of faith, you committed yourself to forsake the world and crucify your old nature. You are committing your whole life to the Lord's service as a living member of his church. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, when you made your public profession of faith, you felt you were ready for this. Well, I have news for you. You aren't. You aren't up to the task. You aren't strong enough to keep these commitments. But God is strong enough to keep you in his ways. If you rely on yourself to persevere in faith, you will quickly find out just how weak you are. But when you draw on him, you will find out there is no limit to his strength. This is the truth that the well-known words of Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31 call to mind. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How do you wait for the Lord? You pray without ceasing. You don't step into the task without first, into a task without first praying for God's strength. You don't begin a day without first praying for God's strength. Sink this prayer of Nehemiah into your hearts 
and take it upon your lips. Now, O God, strengthen my hands. But when you call on the Lord to work in you and through you, you your work will be to his glory, and he will use it richly for your benefit. Why rely on your own weakness when you can draw on the everlasting storehouse of divine strength? Don't you know, haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not faint or grow weary. We come to the second point, persistence and prayer. Closely related to the priority of prayer, and even more closely related to our theme this morning, Pray Without Ceasing, is the importance of persistence in prayer. Nehemiah instructs us in this as well. Again, right from the very beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 4, we read, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You have to understand that it was likely not obvious to him what he should do in response to this situation. We have the advantage of knowing the whole story, but he was in the thick of things. What should he do? He does the right thing. He seeks the face of God persistently. He continues. For months, he pours out his heart before God in prayer. If we calculate based on what he find, when he finally makes his request before the king in chapter 2, he spent three or four months, a hundred days, give or take, coming before God in prayer. It's the insistence of these ongoing prayers that is worth noting. Nehemiah will not let up his praying until he receives an answer. I hope you recognize this in the hard work that prayer takes. You can see it in his tears and his fasting. Nehemiah commits himself to seeking God's face until he receives an answer to his prayer. This insistence or persistence in prayer calls to mind a striking statement by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, which can be puzzling. He, in the thick of his ministry and being followed about by crowds and crowds of people, there are so many of them, and they're so eager to hear him preach and see him heal, they follow him everywhere. They force him to teach from a boat offshore. They climb into trees to hear him preach. They elbow through the crowds to get near enough to touch him. They lower a man through the roof to have him near enough to be healed. All of this leads Jesus to say these striking words to his disciples. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence takes it by force. That's chapter 11, verse 12. The violence takes it by force. That's a good thing. There's a holy storming of the gates here. The people are so eager to come to Jesus that Jesus compares them to armies laying siege of cities. That's the kind of persistence in prayer Nehemiah displays. And that's the kind of persistence in prayer that we're called to this morning. Pray without ceasing. Storm the gates of heaven with your prayer. Take hold of this holy privilege both, with both hands and use it for all it's worth. Go to the gates of heaven. Grab the knocker and knock and knock and knock until the door is opened.
These months weren't the only time of prayer for Nehemiah, though. We've noticed already how much prayer was a priority for him. He was constantly before God's throne in prayer, not just with lengthy prayers like the one in the opening chapter or in chapter 9, but with many arrow prayers. Arrow prayers, that is. Brief prayers shot up to heaven in the heat of the moment. Do you remember Nehemiah's arrow prayer in chapter 2? The king asked Nehemiah to state his request after his months of praying and fasting. But before Nehemiah gave his reply, he tells us, I prayed to the God of heaven. Pray without ceasing. Your prayers don't need to be long, although they can be. They don't always need to fit in your regular time of prayer. They can be natural and as normal as breathing. Do you have a new task in front of you? Ask for strength. Are you enjoying something? Give thanks. Do you see something wonderful? Praise your Creator. Have you sinned against God and your neighbor? Seek His forgiveness. Don't wait. You can pray in less time than it takes to breathe. And the more you do it, the more readily and eagerly you will find yourself in the throne room of God. Don't let the path to the throne of your Heavenly Father become overgrown with thorns and thistles. Come regularly and constantly before Him. We come to the third point, the power of prayer. It may be one, but maybe you are wondering, all this praying, what's the purpose of it all? Does prayer have an effect? Indeed it does. The book of Nehemiah presents us with plenty of proof for that too. The first thing we can say is that prayer changes us profoundly. While Nehemiah and his friends are waiting on God, asking him every day that he would act today, and each day passes without the answer they are looking for, God is busy with them. He is testing their faith. Will they persist in their prayer? Are they committed to what they are asking? Do they trust God enough to leave this entirely in his hand? When we make prayer the priority, it reminds us of our weakness. When we persist in prayer, it reminds us of our dependence. You see, heartfelt biblical prayer shapes, us, shapes in us two things, a deeper dependence on God and a deeper awareness of ourselves. When it comes to God with adoration, with praise of His goodness, or his wisdom, or his sovereignty, or his faithfulness to his people, we ingrain in our hearts and minds the deeper awareness of who he is. Adoration and prayer is necessary for our spiritual growth. God doesn't need our prayers, but we do. Nehemiah's favorite title for God when he addresses him in prayer is God of Heaven. He lifts his eyes up. God is the great king on heaven's throne. He is the one who is sovereign. From heaven's throne, he directs all things. Prayer elevates our view of God. But we also become so much more aware of who we are. Nehemiah ter Nehemiah's term for himself when he comes to God is servant. 
Ours is all the richer because Christ has taught us to call God our Father. He has adopted us because of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. That makes us children. When we come regularly before our Heavenly Father in prayer, we're reminded that we belong to Him. That will awaken us a deeper trust, a deeper sense of dependence, a deeper gratitude. That's how prayer has the power to change us. But what about our petitions and requests? Do they have an effect? Yes, they do. Because our sovereign God ordains their effectiveness too. You see, our prayers and God's answers are part of God's sovereign plan. He commands you to pray because he has ordained specific answers to your specific prayers. We can see that from Nehemiah's example too. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah prayed, and God answered. Nehemiah recognized here the answer to his persistent prayers. God's good hand was upon him. This is no coincidence. Prayer changes things. Do you recognize that God answers prayers? Are you surprised when he does? How weak we often are, and how slow to believe. How often we doubt the power of prayer. There is an episode in the early church when the Apostle Peter had been thrown in prison by Herod and is facing death. Luke tells us in Acts that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Perfect. The church is doing what it should be doing, praying earnestly. Then God answered the prayers by sending an angel to release Peter from that prison. Amazing. Then Peter gets to the house where many Christians are gathered and are still praying. He knocks. The slave girl answers. In her joy, she leaves him at the door and goes back to report to the others. Peter's at the gate. But what happens? These praying Christians tell her, you're crazy. And Peter is left knocking at the door. Aren't we like that so often? Either we don't pray intently at all, or when our prayers are answered, we fail to recognize God's hand in it. Or, are the ver or at the very least, we're surprised that something actually happened. Let us pray and not doubt that God hears and does answer our prayers. Let's not throw up our hands and say, well, if God has plans anyways, then what's the point of praying? He's sovereign. The fact that he has an eternal plan doesn't bypass our activity. It doesn't bypass our hard work of praying persistently. God knows what we need before we ask him, but he requires us to do the hard work of asking for it in prayer. He requires it because it's good for us and it pleases him. So ask away. Present your petitions and requests and believe that God hears and answers prayers. Pray without ceasing. I hope you see that, it, that this isn't something you should see as a command for only especially strong Christians or really mature believers. Prayer warriors, if you're thinking, I can never live like this or obey this command because I'm too weak, great. You're in, in exactly the right place. This is the command for weak Christians, and by that I mean everyone. We are weak. 
we do need to grow in spiritual maturity. And that's precisely why we need to pray without ceasing. Don't let up. You see, your confidence in the power of prayer and your confidence that God does hear you is not in yourselves. It's not because our prayers are so well formulated or so well spoken as though we could leverage God with our ability to pray. Your confidence in prayer rests only in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, the power of prayer is in the blood of Jesus Christ, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It is in his name that we plead, for Jesus' sake, in Jesus' name. Why can you be sure that God hears your prayer? Even when you don't feel it, even when prayer is more duty than delight, because of Jesus Christ, because it was at the cost of his precious blood that we have the precious privilege of coming before the King of heaven and earth, the glorious creator who dwells in unapproachable light and saying, Father, that's why we pray Jesus' name, because our confidence rests in him, nowhere else. Pray without ceasing, because God always hears you for the sake of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.